Jesus, we owe all to you. And we thank you this morning that we can celebrate your sacrifice, which you did for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where you bought us. You purchased us and purchased our eternal life and redemption. I just pray that we'll never take that for granted. And God, that as we, as we look back, we'll also look forward as to what that means for our future. We pray, Lord Jesus, today that as we move in uh, to, the, to the next months, the months ahead, Lord, there are so many challenges. There are individual challenges, people dealing with issues. Our country has incredible challenges in front of us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, by your grace, would bring us peace, peace with you and peace with one another. God, that there would be a sense of, of resolution and blessing that we look to you for your answers. And God, we pray that you would give us unity in this place of tremendous disunity right now. And Father, I just pray now that you would take this word, the word of God. Thank you for the fact that you don't leave us without any guidelines you help us understand. And I pray today that your anointing, your Holy Spirit would take the words of your living word and, and apply it to our lives and our hearts. And that as we leave today, we would be informed of mind, but more important, that we would be transformed in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last Sunday, we looked at the first of two messages in a series on lifestyle and values. This is kind of a, a mini uh, series in the middle of our 1 Corinthians series. 1 Corinthians 8 was what we looked at last, last Sunday. And if you were not here, I urge you to go online and listen to the message on 1 Corinthians 8. It's entitled, Don't Eat That, You Don't Know Where It's Been. Okay, the transcript, there was one transcript left. If you want a transcript, uh, written transcript of that message, feel free to email the church office and we can get that out to you. It's very important that we understand uh, what was said because it, it, it is very important that we understand how it fits into today as well. This message addresses our actions, our life choices, or our lifestyle based on our understanding of right and wrong based on what is moral and what is immoral. Most of us really want to do what's right. And some things are very clear. Some things, not so much. And we talked about black, white, and gray. We talked about black, actions that are always wrong for everybody. We talked about white, actions that are always right for all people. And then we talked about the gray areas, actions that seem right to some but wrong to others. Now, the challenge that we read about in 1 Corinthians is that this church in, in, in Corinth had to do with an issue we don't see it today. It's eating meat that had been dedicated or sacrificed to idols as part of their Greek or Roman pagan religion. This was not a black and white issue. It was a gray area, and Paul, Paul the Apostle labels it as a gray issue. The principles on how to deal with this issue, the gray areas in the lifestyle of the believer and the follower of Jesus Christ, however, are very clear as he lays that out. 
And there were basically two groups of people in the church. There were the mature believers who had known Jesus Christ a long time. They said, we have freedom. Here's the truth. Here's knowledge. Get over it. They were setting up roadblocks or they were setting up speed bumps called stumbling blocks for new believers for whom this issue was very recent. It was too close to their pagan past to disregard and ignore this issue of eating meat that had been previously sacrificed to idols. The mature believers never really had the whole picture. And I have this quote on the top of your notes. I hope you have your notes out. It says, knowledge that harms is not complete knowledge, but partial knowledge. And then the quote from Gordon Fee that says, freedom moves in the direction of individualized existence. Okay, we want freedom. It moves us into the direction of individualized existence, while love moves in the direction of community and care for others. And we talked about the difference between those two directions. Love says I'm more concerned about your faith journey than I am concerned about exercising my freedoms. That's love. So in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Paul says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. And he was referring to meat that had been sacrificed to idols, not meat versus vegetables, etc. That's That's a whole different thing. Last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 8, today we look at Romans 14. This is not uh, an exposition of Romans 14 in a strict sense, but I'm using Romans 14 as a support text for 1 Corinthians 8. And we're gonna talk about three different categories as we're looking at lifestyle. Three different categories. The following three categories are three dimensions of truth that we ought to use when we evaluate right or wrong in our lifestyles, especially gray areas. Now these three categories are not original with me. They were articulated in a message by a man named Reverend Charles Crabtree at a pastor's seminar in Des Moines, Iowa. And Charles was then senior pastor of an Assemblies of God church in Sacramento, California, and then went on to become the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And I hope that this will help clarify and give you the tools necessary to make accurate judgments when it comes to gray areas in our lifestyles. These are gray areas. Now the theological term for gray areas, I know you're all wondering what it is, it's adiaphora. Okay, I know that that's, that's a theological term for gray areas, it's called adiaphora. Uh, which means these are issues not explicitly forbidden in the Bible, issues upon which the Bible is silent. That just doesn't say anything about it. That's called gray areas or adiaphora. Now I've included in, in your outline on the one side of your notes, um, the, the passage we're looking at today in the New Living Translation. It's just a little bit easier to understand in the NLT, and so I wanted to do that. It'll be on the uh, projection as well, but I wanted you to have that in front of you as we read it together. So I'm gonna read Romans 14 from the New Living Translation. It says, accept Christians who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer who has a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who think it is all right to eat anything must not look down on those who won't. And those who won't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Verse five, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. Each person should have a personal conviction about this matter. 
Those who have a special day for worshiping the Lord are trying to honor him. Those who eat all kinds of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who won't eat everything also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we are not our own masters when we live or die. While we live, we live to please the Lord. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. So in life and death, we belong to the Lord. So don't, verse 13, so don't condemn each other anymore. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not put an obstacle in another Christian's path. I know and I'm perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another Christian is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat. So don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be condemned for doing something you know is all right. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and other people will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, there's nothing wrong with these things in themselves. But it is wrong to eat anything if it makes another person stumble. Don't eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another Christian to stumble. You may have faith to believe that there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who do not condemn themselves by doing what they know is something they know is right. But if people have doubts about whether they should eat something, they should eat it. They would be condemned for not acting in faith before God. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. 2 Timothy 2.15 says to correctly handle the word of truth. And we're going to try to handle the word of truth. We find in these situations of lifestyle that there are are actions that can be right in one circumstance and they can be wrong in another circumstance. That's where the, the rub is. Now, in order to do this, we have to discover, first of all, what was the Bible saying to the readers of that day? And we primarily did that last Sunday. That's why it's important to have both of these, these messages listened to or, or looked at or read because it'll give you the perspective. What, what was the Bible saying to the people of that day? and then discover if there are principles to apply to today's world. And then we apply those principles. That's the so what. At the end of every message, you should say, so what? What difference does it make? What, what impact does it have on, on my life? That's the so what. So we're gonna look at the three categories uh, that are listed on your notes and try to figure out where we're going from there. Number one is biblical absolutes, biblical absolutes. Now. Biblical absolutes are not very popular today. America is a land of freedom and individualism, and the operative word that we hear all the time is choice. We choose what's right, we choose what's wrong, we choose what's true, we choose what's false. And we all want choice and freedom to practice what we believe. After all, wasn't that the freedom that the country's founders envisioned as they founded America? Well, as Bible-believing Christians, we stand in contrast to that subjectivism of our culture. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed, it's God-inspired, it's infallible and inerrant in its original autographs or the original writings, and we hold the Bible as our standard of faith and practice. So we believe that there is biblical truth, and we believe there are biblical absolutes. Now, if you're here and you don't believe that, that's okay. Uh, I'm not going to try to twist your arm, but we as a church stand, and if you read our value system and you read our theology stand, stand on beliefs, we believe that is what is true. 
So biblical truth and their biblical absolutes. Now, the lifestyle issues that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians and Romans and also in Colossians, which we won't look at today, are food, drink, and days, like the celebration of the Sabbath. Okay, food, drink, and, and Sabbath. Now, our, our lifestyle issues today have some similarities, but we, we, we've added a lot to them. Okay, we have food, drink, entertainment, recreational activities, material possessions, what we own, how we use it, etc. And, and we look at all these different things in lifestyle. And in these areas, there are black and there are white. There are areas of black and white. And those are called biblical absolutes. Now, let me define a biblical absolute so we know what we're talking about. Definition of a biblical absolute. Number one, they are eternal principles. Eternal principles, in other words, they're timeless. Timeless. Biblical absolutes are eternal, changeless, and timeless. They apply in past history and our present world. Number two, secondly, they're universally applied. In other words, they applies to all persons, all circumstances. No exceptions, no discrimination based on age, gender, race, or any other classification we care to create. That's a biblical absolute. Now, let me give you some examples of biblical absolutes. Not exhaustive, but it'll give us some ideas. Uh, Ten Commandments. We spent four months looking at the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are a moral code established by God that governs our relationship with God and with our fellow human beings, other people. And it's timeless, it's changeless, it's universal in all its applications. No exceptions. It's a biblical absolute. Number two, Sermon on the Mount, another example. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, these are teachings of Jesus. Jesus did not contradict the Ten Commandments of the law. He deepened the law to include our internal state of being. In other words, our thoughts, intentions, and desires. He says, if you hate, it's like murder. If you lust, it's like already committing adultery. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he came to fulfill the law. Number three, the character of God. Who God is, these are absolutes. His holiness, his mercy, his love, his justice. God is changeless, God is timeless. Therefore, the character of God, those things are universally applied. Number four, salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Biblical absolute, salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus' uh, deity is death, burial, and resurrection. These truths do not change as our culture changes. These are biblical absolutes. They're eternal, they're timeless, they're universal. They apply to all people. That's just a few of the biblical absolutes. And most of the disagreements in evangelical churches don't come around biblical absolutes. Okay. Now, what are some contrary trends? What are some things that fight against truth or against biblical truth. Because we have a lot of things that happen today that fight against us coming to the conclusion that there is a biblical absolute. To many, their faith is based on something quite different than biblical absolutes. Three of these practices, I'm just gonna talk about three of them. Number one is reductionism, reductionism. Reducing biblical truth to less than its whole, or less than truth. In other words, making it kind of part true. Take, take the concept of grace, grace, unmerited favor. Um, some people will reduce grace and say it doesn't cover all, only most sins doesn't cover all sins. Okay, so you got to do something to make up for it. And so you end up with works righteousness or trying, legalism, trying to please God by, it's, it, you know, that, and that's, reduction, that's reducing God's grace to lessen what it is. We are saved by grace alone. It's not something we add to it. Or there's an overemphasis of grace. We doubt the wrath of God or God's justice. God can't be so mean he'd send someone to hell. His, his standards can't be rigid. He, he's a God of love, right? 
Then we practice cheap grace. That's reductionism, taking, taking a concept or taking a truth of the Bible and reducing it to something less than reality. Even though we can't understand a God of love balanced with a God of justice, doesn't mean we can make it fit our understanding, okay? Some things we just don't understand. You take the holiness of God, the deity of Jesus, humanity of Jesus, a lot of things we don't understand. We don't have to reduce them. We cannot reduce them and stay biblical. Reductionism. The second practice that we like to practice in America is syncretism. Syncretism. George Barna in The Frog and the Kettle predicted, he said, in general, America's religious faith in this century will be a combination of existing faiths. Known as syncretism, this approach to spirituality was quite common in Old Testament times. It's nothing new. It's happened before. He says, Americans never quite satisfied with their options and rarely pleased with old traditions and old rules will create their own religions. It's very convenient. They'll, their, own, their own religions and, and their old, old traditions, they will mix and match the best of each faith. They're exposed to merge it with synthetic faith. In likelihood, they will blend elements that will give them a sense of self-control over life, personal comfort, and acceptance of a laissez-faire lifestyle philosophy. They'll borrow from Christianity, Jesus' philosophy of love and acceptance. Oh, I like that. So we're going to take Jesus' love and acceptance. Eastern religions, they'll borrow ideas related to a person being their own God or their, the master of their own destiny, whatever that is. The center of the universe, capable of creating and resolving issues. From Mormonism, they'll extract the emphasis on relationships and family. It's kind of this grab-bag approach to religion. We'll take from Hindus reincarnation because we like more than one chance at life. So well, we're going to come back, so I'll get another chance. Or uh, the New Age mysticism, all those things. And we, people believe, and you talk to people in America, ask them what do, they, what do they believe, and they will say a lot of these things. And they believe this is a more personal faith that you can choose and set up like your favorite cell phone ringtone. Yeah, it's fine, I personalize it. Syncretism. Synchronism destroys biblical truth and absolutes. Now the third contrary trend, very common, is something called relativism, relativism. This says there's no such thing as truth, absolute truth, or absolutes at all. To believe in absolutes is to be narrow-minded, anti-intellectual, bigoted, politically incorrect, and offensive. You've got to be open-minded. Just remember, if you're too open-minded, your brains fall out. Just say it. Biblical Christians believe in objective truth, absolute truth, and right and wrong. And we really try not to be offensive about it, but there's something uncompromising and even potentially offensive about truth. Biblical absolutes. Very important that we understand as a church and as a people of God what biblical absolutes are. But is everything black and white? No, everything's not black and white. Paul makes it clear in our passage that there are gray areas, particularly in areas of lifestyle. So let's look at category two. You have biblical absolutes. Now let's look at category two, which is community standards, community standards. The definition of a community standard is a shared value system of any group. The shared value system of any group. A community is a communion, a group of like-minded persons, people of common interest, people connected to other people. A standard is something established for the use as a rule or basis of comparison in measuring or judging capacity, quantity, content, extent, value, quality, etc. And this context of community standard relates to values, community value system. It's basically group rules, okay? These are group rules, group rules. And every group has rules, 
Every group has rules. It may as, be as informal as the understanding that everyone who comes to your annual Christmas party brings food and a white elephant gift. Just, you just know that's, that's what everybody does, okay? It's standard. Or it could be a complex set of membership requirements with bylaws and covenants that define what must be done as part of an organization. You may live in, a, in an organization or in a neighborhood that has covenants and it, it's, it's all laid out. Well, defined or not, or written or not, every community has standards. It could be as simple as the proper golf attire to play at the country club, okay? I, I got kicked off a golf course once because I was wearing tennis shoes, and I had to have golf shoes. You can't, no, those tennis shoes leave marks in the greens. No, I couldn't play, okay? As a community standard. Because individualism is so pervasive in America, many people do not want to be part of a community because every community has standards. But if we become part of a community, we may have to give up or compromise in some of our individualistic beliefs or practices to become part of that community. I had to go buy golf shoes if I was going to play golf. Okay. And every community has standards. A state, country, a county, suburb, city, school, office, workplace, and family. And it includes all churches. All churches, whether defined or not, have community standards. They have community standards. Have you ever walked into, into a church wearing jeans and a t-shirt and everyone else is wearing a suit and tie? Whoa. Or you walk in with a suit and tie and everyone else is in board shorts. Yeah, <laughs> awkward. That's, that's why I like to see a little bit of everything in every church service because then somebody go, oh, I'm wearing jeans. Oh, there are people with jeans. I'm wearing a suit and tie. Oh, good, there's some people. You know, this is, it's all part of that. But every community has standards, and some of them are defined as community standards. But, and some community standards are based on biblical absolutes, but many are not. Many are not. The problem arises when we try to take our community standard and make it a biblical absolute. Okay, this is our community standard. Therefore, it's a biblical absolute. Okay. Shirt and tie, that's our community standard. If you don't, yeah, that's, that's to be right before God, you gotta do that. Or, or if you wear a certain thing or you act a certain way. Community standard, making a biblical absolute. Now, in my church background, we had certain community standards. Some of you, if you went back a ways, you, some of you remember this because we're about the same age. We had community standards. There was no bowling, no movies, no dancing, no smoking, and no alcohol. Some of our churches prohibited mixed bathing. Now that, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's swimming with the opposite sex, okay? In some circles, women were not allowed to cut their hair, ever. They couldn't wear slacks. There was a prohibition from wearing jewelry or makeup. Some were told they would go to hell if they even wore a wedding ring. Judy tells the story of her mother, a wonderful, godly woman who attended a service where the pastor said, the reason no one got saved today is because someone in this room is wearing a wedding ring. Yeah, so she took it off. <laughs> Amazing. Now in the 1970s, it was considered a sin for men to have long hair. Some of us went to great lengths to define long. Of course, that was part of it. And uh, I was a sinner back then, like some of you that had long hair. The standard line always was, Jesus had long hair. Right? Now, we don't know, but Jesus, well, Samson did. Yeah, we know Samson had long hair. We, you know, we, it was one of those things. Community standards. So we had all these community standards, 
and most churches establish community standards then emphasize them so strongly to their youth and to their children that they gain the stature of a biblical absolute, okay? So this is a community standard, but it's so important that it's a biblical absolute. Then they went away to college and they discovered many Bible-believing Christians had different community standards than they had. There were two, two responses, two things happened to these young men and women who went away to a different location to college. One, they recognized these were community standards, not biblical absolutes, and they moderated their stand and they found balance, established equilibrium, and they found peace with God, okay? Two, the second response, they failed to recognize the difference between biblical absolutes and community standards, and they threw everything out, community standards, biblical absolutes, and threw out their whole faith because they saw it was as hypocritical. Yeah, that happened to some of you, I'm sure, at some point in your life. Most every church today grapples with gray areas in lifestyle and establishes community standards. And it's crucial to understand the difference between biblical absolutes and community standards and identify them as such. There's, there's no record that the Christian community in Corinth established a particular community standard on eating meat offered to idols. But Paul gave them guidelines. He gave them parameters. Some of that we looked at last week. All summed up in don't be a speed bump. Don't be a speed. Don't, don't be a stumbling block to a person. That was bottom line. They were called to draw conclusions and make judgments. Now, there are some guiding principles he calls them to in this. The first guiding principle is unity, number one. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church. If we're gonna be part of a community, we must live according to that community standards. Otherwise, we cause division. Causing division in the church is a very serious sin. What if I disagree with part of the community standards? We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment when we address personal convictions. But I would venture to guess that you will never find a church that you totally agree with on everything. Same is true of church denominations. And I always recommend to people, join the church you disagree with the least. <laughs> join the church you disagree with the least. Now maybe you agree with everything, but maybe there's community standard issue you don't quite get along with. And as long as it's in the realm of community standards, not biblical absolutes, you're fine because you can have disagreements over community standards. The biblical absolute thing, that's an issue. You can't be there. Now, there's an interesting passage in Acts, and we looked at this uh, a couple years ago, Acts 15 and Acts 16. Um, there was a belief in the early church, because it came out of Judaism, that, that one had to be circumcised in order to be saved, okay? So the Jews, in Acts, in Acts 15, there was this discussion about and the important issue in the church. And uh, the Jews were saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Jewish Christians were teaching people had to be circumcised. So it was circumcision and belief in Jesus. So it's this and that. And, and Paul, they had this big conference in Jerusalem and they said, no, it's only faith in Jesus to be saved. In Acts 15, 11, Paul says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. And so at this time, Circumcision was a community standard that the Jews could practice, but the Greeks and the, and the Romans were not required to practice. They could believe in Jesus. Salvation by grace is a biblical absolute. 
Circumcision was a community standard. Salvation by grace was a biblical absolute. Then in the very next chapter, this is where it gets confusing. People say, what, what's going on here? In Acts 16, the very next chapter, Paul is taking Timothy with him on a, visit to visit, a trip to visit churches. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and because of that, Timothy had never been circumcised. And in verse 3, it says Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews that lived in that area. Why? Because the community standard where he was going was circumcision. Circumcision. Did Paul compromise? No. He did not want anything to be a stumbling block to his ministry to people. He saw the distinction between the biblical absolute and community standard. We're going to talk more about next Sunday, we're going to talk more about being all things to all people so that we can save some. We'll be talking more about that next Sunday. But, but basically, he knew that he had to adapt to their community standards if he was going to relate to them. Otherwise, it was going to be an obstacle. Take, take the issue of the Sabbath day, which is addressed in the passage we look at today. The practice of taking a Sabbath, biblical absolute. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The actual day is community standard. Community standard. What do you do with Seventh-day Adventists or people that go on Saturday nights? They must not be a spiritual. They're going to church on Saturday night. What's wrong with those people? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you say, we take a Sabbath, whether it's Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever, there's, that's a community standard. Sabbath is a biblical absolute, the actual day is community standard. What about, and this is one everybody's always waiting for, is <laughs> where you get, what about wine or alcoholic beverages? What about wine or alcoholic beverages? Drunkenness is a biblical absolute. We are prohibited from being drunk. It's a sin, strictly prohibited. And the question is, how do I know if I cross the line and I'm drunk? Well, the state law says it's .08, and I say, carry a breathalyzer or just ask your wife. That's what I would say. <laughs> what, about, what about alcohol consumption moderately? And this is the big issue a lot of times. That's why I, I talked about this before we went into the membership uh, process a, year, a little over a year ago. Talked about this. What about alcohol consumption moderately? Well, I shared last week about a wedding reception where some of my church leaders in Lakewood who had no addiction or drunkenness problem, drank champagne at an all-church wedding reception. And what they did not know was that there were four persons, four persons also from our church, in that very room who were recovering alcoholics. They were recovering alcoholics. Including a 15-year-old boy who had just gotten out of alcohol rehab that very week. I'm serious. That was a Saturday night reception. Sunday morning, I thought, I, I need to say something. So I did two sermons. I did a mini sermon before my regular sermon um, on Romans 14. And, and every person personally apologized to the 15-year-old and asked him for forgiveness because this boy was devastated when he saw that. He was devastated. Now, the biblical absolute is being a stumbling block. Biblical is not drinking champagne. The biblical absolute is being a stumbling block. And as I shared last, last week, they had partial knowledge for themselves. They didn't have total knowledge because partial knowledge said I can do this when they knew the whole picture, they'd have take a different action and they, they, they realized that. So being very, very careful. 
In a different context, they might not have been a stumbling block, but in this context, they were a stumbling block. Now, there's a church in Southern California who had a problem with alcohol, okay? Had disagreements in, with alcohol. They had a large contingent of Italians who loved to drink wine with their pasta. You know how the problem Italians are, you know. So, just, just joking. I know we have mainly, mainly Scandinavian German in this congregation, but they, had, they, they liked wine with their pasta, and they were very open with their freedom, and it began to cause a division in the church, and as you can guess, there were people on the abstinence side and people on the imbibe side. It was causing division in the church. So the church leadership had to deal with the issue since there was no written policy on alcohol use in their bylaws, and they concluded this. This was their conclusion. Number one, drunkenness violates a biblical absolute. That's a biblical absolute. Having a glass of wine with a meal did not. But, they said, but, this is the caveat, since alcohol is a problem in our society and culture cannot seem to handle it, abuse is the norm, and they had alcoholics in the church following the law of love, the church leadership established a community standard of abstinence. They didn't say it was a biblical absolute. They said, because of the presence of alcoholism, because of the problem, because of the issues that we have in our church and people that deal with that, we are gonna establish a community standard of abstinence, okay? Which means that all our church gatherings, we're gonna do that. And he said, whether you agree or disagree with the standard, do not mention or offer alcohol to anyone else in the church. To do otherwise would cause disunity in the church, putting your freedoms ahead of your love for the community. Unity is far more important than exercising my freedoms, and their stand was, as long as you're part of this fellowship, we practice unity. So anything to do with the community and the community standard, our stand is abstinence. That's what they did. They wanted to practice unity. The second guiding principle was number two, edification. Edification, try to build each other up. To edify means to build up, to have a positive influence and influence towards Christ. We talked about different influences, whether they move us closer to God or away from God. And having to know the people we relate to and how we influence them in lifestyle issues, are we influencing them in a positive way toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Are we having a, very rarely will we have, a, have a, a, a neutral effect on our relationships. We'll have either positive or negative. And asking yourselves, does this move me closer to God or further away from God? Does this move my friends and my compatriots, compatriots closer to God or further away from God? The third guideline, which we stressed in the last sermon, was love. The bottom line is love. So that's community standards. The biblical conviction, the biblical absolutes, community standards, and now we look at number three, personal convictions, personal convictions. Let me, let me define that. These are personal lifestyle decisions that we do before God. We are intimately known by God. And personal convictions are sometimes more narrow and more broad. And these are between you and God. This is personal. This is between you and God. No one else knows, needs to know, these are your personal convictions. Romans 14 says, you may have faith to believe, the, the, verses 22 and 23, says you may have the faith to believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Keep it private, okay? Keep it between yourself and God. You say, this is, this is fine. It's not, I'm not violating a biblical absolute, this is a personal conviction. 
said, blessed are those who do not condemn themselves by something they know is all right. But if people have doubts about whether they should eat something, they shouldn't eat it. They would be condemned for not acting in faith before God. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Now, here again, here again, we get into trouble when we try to take our personal convictions and impose them on others and make it the community standard, okay? Let me give you the example. Let's go back to the Italians in the California church. Their personal conviction was that wine was okay, and privately, they had wine with their dinner. Many Bible-believing Christians agree. They do. Italians, wine with pasta, Germans, beer and brats, French, wine with souffle, Americans, wine and seafood, Norwegians, coffee and cookies. You know, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> I shouldn't stereotype. That's kind of what we look at. We are all to practice godly lives and make sure that we don't stumble anyone. We must constantly be aware of the issue of stumbling blocks because our call is to unity and to edification and love. And Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now let's say um, a person's a diabetic, okay? And for the diabetic, it's harmful, perhaps even sinful, to eat chocolate chip cookies, okay? And there are, there are people that have to deal with sugar. That person should not come to our church barbecue or potluck and say, it's a sin for me to eat sugar, therefore, you all have to give up sugar. That would be to impose a personal conviction, something that is a sin for them, and try to make it the community standard. Then again, we wouldn't try to get the diabetic to go against their personal conviction and eat cookies, okay? There's, a, there's a, something here that one's harmful, one's not. We just have to be careful to understand that. Romans 14, 20 and 21 says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, okay? Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, there is nothing wrong with these things in themselves, but it is wrong to eat it if it makes another person stumble. If it makes another person stumble. It says, don't eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another Christian to stumble. I want to share a story from my personal experience. In the late 70s, I taught school in a small town in, in western North Dakota. It's out in the boonies. And the community that I was, found myself in was largely German in culture. And I was Norwegian by heritage and had grown up in a, uh, the strict Lutheran holiness tradition. Some of you can identify. Strict Wesleyan holiness tradition, strict Lutheran holiness tradition. That's where I was. That's where I came from. And in my, if, in my culture, if someone came to your home to visit, the standard invitation was, would you like a cup of coffee? Would you like a cup of coffee? That was just standard invitation. They came to your home, would you like a cup of coffee? It was politically and socially correct to accept the invitation and say yes. Social interaction occurred over coffee. Just, that was my world, that's what I knew. In this German culture, it was, it was different. If you stopped by someone's home to visit, their standard invitation was, would you like a beer? I remember the first time that happened to me, I went over after church to one of the elders' houses and I was gonna watch the Super Bowl, it was February. And we're sitting, getting ready. They invited me for dinner. And he said, would you like a beer? And I went, you're Lutheran. How dare, you know, it was just, it was just a shock to me. But I, I got used to the idea that that was their standard 
culture. It was politically and socially correct to say yes because social interaction occurred over a beer. That's just what they did. And as a school teacher, I held, held parent-teacher conferences at least twice a year. And if the parents were unable to come, I offered to meet them in their home. And one particular family was experiencing trouble with their high school student, could not make it to the conference, so we set up a meeting time in their home. The father met me at the door, and fortunately, I'd been in this community for two years, so I was not surprised when he asked, would you like a beer? And I said, yes. He brought me a beer, and as we sat in their living room, this strict holiness Lutheran teacher with a German Catholic parent, sipping beer, talking about what was the most important issue in their life, their daughter. I'm telling you this story not to show you that I can drink beer too, or I can get away with something or do whatever, or somehow I'm a super Christian, but only to illustrate a point. I personally, have no issue with alcoholism. We did not drink to get drunk. The community standard, the culturally accepted means of social interaction was over a standard beverage and I was part of that community. I was not yet a pastor and I wasn't part of the Wesleyan Church either, for that matter, because there's a community standard and some convictions in that. I did not violate my personal convictions nor community standards. I'm also very well aware of the dangers of alcoholism. I have extended family members who have been alcoholics, lost businesses, lost, almost lost their lives over alcoholism. It's a huge danger. People here, many of you have been touched by whether it's alcohol or drugs. And so we must always, always be very aware and very careful. Also, I know that what we do as parents in moderation, our children may take to extreme. But when it comes to gray areas, as long as we do not violate a biblical absolute or a community standard, okay, our actions may be right in one instance and wrong in another. Exact same action could be wrong in one instance and right in the other. See, one of the things, it's really easy for the church to just make everything black and white and say, this is all wrong, okay? And it's much easier because we can keep everything in a box. But see, we are thinking people navigating in a culture that doesn't think that way. And, and we have to understand that we need to be thinking, understanding believers, making intelligent, smart choices with our faith, led by the Spirit of the living God. And you may be led one way at one point and another way at another point but that's between you and God. Let's get some guidelines real quick, three guidelines. When it comes to any of these issues, these actions, the lifestyle, number one, be willing to give it up. Be willing to give it up. Paul said, I would never eat meat again or drink wine again if I'm gonna stumble somebody. He just said, my love for you is more important than my right. Number two, keep our conscience clear before God. This is between you and God. Keep your conscience clear before God. And number three, glorify God in everything we do. It's about glorifying God. It all points to God. Everything we do is either gonna detract from God or glorify God. 
And so when you ask those questions and you look at lifestyle issues and you navigate, ask those questions and think about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us without guidelines, even on difficult things like this. And I pray, God, that even though we don't have all the answers, we have at least some answers and, and maybe more questions about some things. But I just pray that you'll give us understanding, a renewed understanding on how to navigate these lifestyle issues. Father, we're grateful. gave these guidelines and, and, and he didn't, he didn't uh, avoid the truth or avoid anything, but he basically gave us the law of love. And I pray that as we move forward as a church and congregation, that we would truly love you, love people, and we would be transformed in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?